In this episode, my friend Colin and I discuss his experience over the last five years practicing the infinite banking concept. We had fun and hope you enjoyed listening. Thank you. Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery, and I'm as pleased as I can be today to have my friend on as a guest. This is Colin Guzay. We've known each other for about five years. He's a friend, he's a client, and an all-around great guy. And uh, he's, awesome. you know, graciously, you know, accepted the invitation to be a guest. So, Colin, thank you very much for, you know, taking the time out to spend some time with us and tell us who you are you know, what you do, how we met, and, you know, get your perspective on the infinite banking concept. And um, so just share with us, Colin. Well, it was the uh, Self-Reliance Expo at the convention center in Houston. And I thought I was just going to look at, uh, you know, uh, bomb shelters and stuff. (laughs) But it was was just some weird – you know, thing I was going there to see. I mean, I was curious. And, uh, you know, they were going to show you how to put on a splint and all the other kind of stuff. And there was this guy over there making a presentation that was just basically about insurance. And, and there was just something that, uh, something about it. That, he was that, probably uh, good looking, well spoken, right? Yeah. Okay. And, <laughs> But it, you know the the thing is, it, it uh, there, there was there was something you were saying as I was walking by that kind of like drew drew me over there. Uh, it was more a matter of uh, look, I'm I'm getting older now. I'd gotten been getting older, and I was thinking to myself, well, how do you maintain and keep your uh, your your money out of the pretty much the trap of a 401k, right? I, I'd seen that it was that year after year, they made the changes to it and they, you know, and they were getting closer and closer to just closing in on it. And people that felt so good about it. And I, I you know, I'd known a lot of people. They were very conventional 401k people. I worked at AT&T. Uh, started out, it was a bell system in 1980. This was in the LA area, worked in downtown LA before it was, uh, I don't know. Um, but but what it is, um, I was around all the conventional thinkers that you could ever put in one place. They're, they were all conventional thinkers. And I was a conventional thinker, you know, and the, the idea that you get some kind of like write off for now by putting money in. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> it really wasn't that good. It really wasn't. Um, it wasn't until years later. I had been with uh, uh, it, it was uh, they shuffled everybody around in 1984. They put me in AT&T based in Basking Ridge, New Jersey. The old entity, not the new entity. From L.A. to New Jersey? Well, no, they, I didn't go to New Jersey. However, oh, okay. we were out in California in the L.A. area where I worked. We were invaded by people from the Northeast. 
and I don't mean that as a bad thing. They really were. They were fun. They were different. Uh, they were really strange. Uh, they, some were scary, but when the scary people were on your side, it was like being able to tell people, hey, you know, I'll send Paulie over here and he'll talk to you. You, yeah, you talk to him, you tell him. Oh, no, no, no. So it was like being in the mafia. Mm. It was like a phone company mafia. You know, it's like, you just don't, it was kind of awesome. And uh, they were uh, very effective at what they were doing and they were very focused. And some of them told me things that uh, didn't quite, you know, this was 20, almost 20 years in to work in there. I was in close to 40. To, at the time, you start hearing different things like, what the hell are you going to do that? If you do that, well, you'll get screwed because this will happen to you. And they knew everything there was to know about, you know, taxes and capital gains and all the other things like that. They had an awareness that I just didn't have. So I owe them something. I really do. I owe them something. Anyway, so after spending a couple of years training <laughs> under those guys, you know, I, uh, I got a little more cynical about the uh, conventional thought. And, uh, you know, I started looking for other things. And when I was young, back, I was 22 years old, I got talked out of a whole life policy. Hmm. You know? And I had never really studied up on that or really understood it. All I knew is all the experts says, don't do it. So you were going to buy it or you had one when they talked you out of it? I, I was really, I was looking into it. Okay. But drop the idea totally simply because they said, the right. experts said, oh, no, no, you can make so much more in an investment over here and things like that. And every time you made an investment with them, somehow you, your money was trapped with them. Wow. <laughs> so you're, you were 22, considering yeah. looking at whole life insurance and all the experts said, oh, don't do that. And so yes. you didn't, right? Didn't. Yeah. And I realized later on, of course, the, everybody's got some regret. You know. Sure, sure. But then, yeah, so you, but, you, what did, did you start a 401k back then, or did you just not do, you know, the life insurance? Oh, I, I put, uh, I, I, I was uh, doing the 401k, of course. Right. Everybody at the phone company was doing the 401k. Right. And everybody at the phone company seemed like, uh, well, they're all close to retiring. They seemed like they, they got their stuff together. But really, they were just people with better habits, not necessarily money. They had not necessarily studied money. So they didn't get rich in their 401ks. They just had habits of no. saving money. <laughs> no, they did not. All right. So anyway, well, as, as things went by, um, I was always the low seniority guy. That's the way it worked in AT&T in the day because everything was about, well, it was about seniority and these people just kept going and going like Galapagos <laughs> tortoises. Right. You know, you just had to wait till one of them died, you know? 
Yeah. What about what about Bob? Bob, Bob. You know the guy who looks like a mummy. Yeah. It, why is he still there? At that because everybody wanted to come back. <laughs> you know how you know you have like a nineteen years in, and you you know you'll never get in because the guy with thirty six years wants to t- replace the guy who's got forty years. Right. There's no point. Anyway, you know, again, I was playing their game. And I should have, I should have took charge of my own. And the, that's that's the thing about this is that you just feel like you're in charge of your own, and every, somebody else doesn't have the last word <laughs> on what you do or how you do it. Very, different. Uh, very different. Anyway, they, it was the day I saw you there at the convention center. I got the the copy of. Uh, of, uh, of, of the book there. From Becoming Nelson Your Own Banker. Nash. Yep, Nelson. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And uh, somehow it just, it just caught me, caught my attention. I read it till the, till the pages were like getting all dog-eared. <laughs> they were just kidding. It was, it was, uh, it, it was a real mind breakthrough, you know, and uh, that was uh, by the time I'd gotten to see Nelson Nash in person. You know, I always sat in the front row with my eyes like this. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I well, I don't remember exactly how many times you had seen him, but I know that you've <clears throat> been to many events that we've held. I don't. Do you know how yeah. many times you attended? And- oh, I saw Nelson three times. Three times. And I was at a couple other events where Nelson wasn't there. You were the presenter at a real estate uh, conference. Okay. Now, the thing was, it was at the real estate conference that you mentioned something and it kind of like was like lightning hitting, hitting my brain there. And I love that. I it wish I could do that on command. You had, <laughs> yeah. There you go. You had you had a couple guests there, if it was the right time. Uh, a couple guests there. They were a younger couple. They owned a business, okay. And they were asking about uh, you. You were you were telling them about how to arrange that you can recover costs from things, and that oh, he, the guy mentioned taxes well damn taxes are another part of your regular expense it's part of your life it's a cost you can recover oh crap and you told them well you start a custodial account over here and it's paid out of there and you pay your estimated payments what? <laughs> and uh, oh I, I i just it blew me away the thing Nelson told me the first time I'd seen him was you could use the money, you borrow the, you can internally finance all your major purchases and things like that. But it wasn't until you were talking with the younger couple that owned a business that it struck me that, wait a minute, you could internally finance every ordinary expense it doesn't have to be a a capital expense like you're not leasing equipment 
you know, you, it doesn't have to be an investment. You don't have to grab money. And, you know, the only way people know about investing money is you grab all this money, you just drive a lot of money that you had, and you pay it all. Ah, I just bought some gold. And you, why are you happy about that? You could have borrowed the money <laughs> in that same amount, bought that same amount of gold, paid that back with payments of the cash you had in hand, you know, and in the end, you, you're, you're lowering the cost basis of the gold you bought, right? And you wind up with both. <clears throat> you know, most people yes. don't understand that to make a purchase, I don't care what it is, you've got to have capital. Well, that's, a, that's so elementary, we jump over that. Okay, well, if you don't have your own capital, then you're beholden to the third-party lender, and you've got to jump through their hoops to have access to their capital, right? Because they're yeah. gatekeepers. So I walk people, I don't walk people through, I, I say this often, I'm like, look, <clears throat> for you to make a cash purchase, you have to have saved up cash, right? Or suddenly come into a bunch of cash. All right, yes. and most of us don't suddenly come into a bunch of cash. So we have to save up cash to make a cash purchase, and then we have to save up cash again to make a cash purchase. And so if we play a word game and just change the name of the cash flows for a minute, and I know words have power, absolutely. So if I'm saving money to make a cash purchase, can I take that cash flow and make it a premium and pay a premium and then I'm going to accumulate cash. Yes. And then instead of withdrawing the cash from a savings account to make a purchase, can I just collateralize a cash value yes. and now create a loan repayment? Yes. I mean, what's there's really that's very simple, right? It's very easy to yes, to say that. And yeah. so it, it's it's just it's hard sometimes to wrap our mind around how simple it is because we got to get past these words like life insurance. Right. We got to get past these words commissions, you know, insurance agents, and um, but anyway. So you heard something along those lines resonated with you talking Boy, about purchasings. It, yep. And, and that resonate that really resonated with me, and I started thinking, wait a minute, can't you? You know, I, I kind of mentioned this um, earlier um, when there when I was or yakking. <laughs> okay, you can actually pick out items that are ordinary expenses to you. It's not an investment. It doesn't necessarily, you know, that. But you can get six months worth of what you pay for your cell phone. You get six months worth of what you pay for your cable, right? Because we've got to have awesome stuff now. You know, before it was just like some basic package. Now we got to have everything. Parkinson's Law right there, right? A luxury once oh. enjoyed becomes a necessity. <laughs> yeah. I'm still yeah. finding crap on there now. Yeah. And my son says, yeah, yeah, that's, that's always been there. You didn't know that was there. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah. And he makes fun of me and never goes away. But, you know, he's right. Okay. All right. So you pay your cable and you uh, pay six months 
worth of your car insurance and (laughs) tiny amounts for stuff that your house used to be thousands. Now it's, you know, is just the car insurance and um, a little bit of renter's insurance, right? So stuff like that. We got full coverage on both cars. We're looking at like 250-ish and then cable-wise, we're looking at 150-ish. Well, that's 400. Yeah. Wait a minute, about 100 a month, all right, for cell phone, 500 a month. You take out a loan for six times five, three grand, all right? You prepay all those items, all right? And then for the six months when you don't have that payment to make, you make a payment in the amount of 500 back to your policy. You know, most people would just get, well, what, what does that do? Well, each time you make a payment on that policy loan, you're recovering, you're, you're recovering your daily expenses. At the end of six months, you got the money back. Do you do right? that? Yeah. Do you do that? I mean, with your policies? I mean okay. And, and now we're looking at the idea. All right. Well, dang, we could put six months worth of our rent (laughs) in a custodial account and then for the next six months pay a payment back to the policy, right? You're recovering your rent. Does your, uh, look, does your landlord, would they give you a discount if you paid annually? Oh, that would be nice. But no, we're in a really nice place. So if there's a potential discount for something, mm-hmm. you go ahead and uh, pay it in full. Like, for instance, I had a couple of odd bills here and there for uh, medical, you know, a couple of specialists. And uh, my wife, her instinct is always to say, hey, can I, if I pay the whole thing, can I get less <laughs> or pay less? It's, it's like her instinct. And she does that every time and will always ask that question, you know, before, before bills are paid. So she kind of like, kind of like having a, your backup there. I, I'm yeah. the same way. I like to Gentile them down. You know what I mean? Not, I'm not a Gentile. I'm a Hebrew, but <clears throat> I like to Hebrew them down if I can, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to be cheap, but you know, I don't want to, <laughs> you know, yeah. I want, yeah, get, yeah. I want to get value. Yeah, but, but, right, yeah right. but but cheap is not always the best. Sometimes the best is the overall when you're thinking about the value of what you're getting. Sure. And if you get to recover huge chunks of your living expense and you can keep your your easy position as a armed security guard at a bakery you know that's that's the best (laughs) Uh, so look you um you excuse me you're first exposed to the idea at a uh survivalist convention or or that was when i was first i first saw you and that's 
when I realized it, that it, it was a, it was a way of getting your, your money out of the mainstream okay. and not leaving yourself subject to everybody else's whim. All right. So that was a self-preparedness nice. expo. Right. And do you know when that was? Do you remember when that was? Was that? I'm pretty sure that was 2014. 2014. Okay. I believe it was. All right. And then you, so you probably, did you purchase Nelson's book at that event or? Yes, I okay. did right then and there <clears throat> and uh, read through it over and over again. And th- there, there was some other stuff, uh, things on YouTube with, uh, with, uh, with Nelson Nash in it. Right. Too. Which was very limited compared to today, what was available on right. YouTube. All right. So that, right. that would be a self-reliance expo. We did many of those. Yes. Okay. And then, so you bought Nelson's book and you were online and, and then you, you went to uh, a real estate expo. That It was a real estate expo. You were one of the featured speakers. Okay. Was that, it when was, was Dallas-ish. that? Dallas-ish. Dallas. So we had already met then. We'd already been, we'd already met or at least. Right. Because you, we probably at, sent. At each, at each step, there was always something new that occurred to me. Sure. Absolutely. And do you, was that in 2015, did you say? The Real Estate Expo in Dallas. I'm, I'm thinking it was in that time range. Sure, sure. Okay. And, so. Uh, you, each time it was uh, it was a little different. Uh, we we did the uh, I, I went to the uh, um, the meeting center there in uh, Fort Worth the, a couple of times, and I noticed the crowds were getting a little bigger and they were a little more plugged in, you know, and you know it felt a little bit less sideshow you know because there, there's just too many oh. things if the public doesn't support <laughs> something it it doesn't matter what you do you know if it's because the public follows trends yeah. and you know so i i felt that the idea had caught on by that time well it was catching on with you if you showed up to the third event Right, oh, yeah. oh, and yeah. the crowds were getting bigger. That's that's good to know. Good, good. And so, where when did you, you know, when did you decide in relation to the uh, events? You know, twenty fourteen, the self reliance, twenty fifteen, the real estate, and then something else in Fort Worth. Was that just like an event we were holding, or do you remember what that? Yeah, that was, was an event being held by 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 you guys. Okay, was yeah. Nelson at that one, or do you remember? He was at one of them. Okay, well, good. He wasn't. He never, to my knowledge, went to a, a self reliance expo or a real estate expo. No, no, no. I did not see him there. Okay, so he must. It have was been. just you. You inspired me. Perfect. There's a sideshow. Just show. by I the fact that. that guy doesn't look like a weirdo. Right, it was, was a guy. You remember the guy not far from there who had a, you know, a camel on his face and stuff. You know, no. well, okay. I'm just saying, you struck me as normal compared to him. That's probably why I hang out at those places so I can look normal. Huh? Yes, you could look normal. Right. Okay, know? so <laughs> did did um 
I mean, obviously, you became a client in like 2015 because I looked yep. before I hopped on. Um, did you hear Nelson before you became a client or after, or do you remember? Uh, once, yes, I heard him once. It was at the event at uh, Fort Worth. Okay. That was my first introduction to Nelson in person. Right. So you're a slow learner like me, Colin. You had to you had to listen three times, right? Yeah, how many times did I have to read the book though? <clears throat> yeah, I went through right. it four or five times before I first saw Nelson. You know, I mean I'm uh I, I I really am a slow learner. When I first read Nelson's book, I couldn't believe it, you know, and I took the first opportunity a few weeks later to hear him speak and and I had the privilege of hearing him well over 30 times. I mean, we, we had the privilege of hosting him many times. And I'm saying that to say this, that people today, I mean, they'll read Nelson's book. And I know there's a lot of things on inter, on the Internet, you know, that they can go and listen to. Um, and God bless them. You know, they read Nelson's book one or two times. They listen to a few videos or what have you. And they decide, oh, this is really good. I want to do this. Where it took me, I mean, I, I, I mean, I flew home from the first time I heard Nelson and rearranged all of our life insurance. Um, but I had to hear and rehear and hear again because just like you, every time I heard Nelson, I would hear something else, something new, something I didn't catch or hear previously. Um, and I'm saying that to say this, that, you know, if I didn't have the opportunity to hear Nelson that many times, I don't know if I would be, you know, paying the premium that we pay. I don't know if we'd be operating at the level mm. that we're operating. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so yeah. I think and, and, I think the people that hear Nelson uh, maybe on his recorded, you know, six and a half hour seminar or a few videos and read his book. I think some of I think they're just generally sharper than I am. They're just not as slow of a learner as I am. Is what I'm saying. Right. So again, here here's the other thing. There's just so much. Uh, there there are so many things that mentally block you, like. Why would I pay more premiums if I could just pay less premium? You know, yeah. stuff like that. That's kind of like saying, you know, what if I only put $5 away every month, you know, compared to 500 <laughs> You know, if you look at it that way, why are you jazzed about taking the second-rate crappy version? You know, the one that expires I mean, they're already telling you ahead of time it's going to expire on you. You better die before this term runs out or nothing's going to happen. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's just so dumb. But, you know, uh, there'd always been, you know, um, I, I, I Uber, you know, right? Okay. And uh, while I Uber, uh, you know, sometimes that drive all the way out to Bush Airport is boring as hell, you know. And, you know, I'm chatty. I like to find out what people do for a living and all that kind of stuff. Um, Here's something you just don't know. Houston is chock full of Nigerians. 
And every time you have a Nigerian, you could kind of thumbnail the idea of how you can recover the cost of bills that you're paying, right? And they always get it. Really? You know who doesn't get it? Hmm. People with bachelor's degrees in <laughs> financial, you know, in economics. Yeah, of course. Yes, you talk to any Nigerian, he will say, "Well, yeah, I have a, I have two businesses and a full time student, or something." And they weren't joking because they kept adding locations after location. One guy I was with for like seven hours. That, all right, well, I'm getting paid the whole thing, so. I might as well just go home after we drove him off. There was no reason. I, you know, he, uh, they, they Uber and they are Uber drivers. They're passengers. Same, you know, I, I give the card to my cousin. He works at night. Oh, wow. So their cars are never idle. Hmm. They're always in school. They're always work. You know, just the energy is like amazing. You know, and but you see, the thing is, their their minds understand. You know, but it seems like the more educated people are, I mean, you know, like you got a master's degree in something, you're you're a doofus. <laughs> you know what you say? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I met guys who, who like uh, who like uh, in, install drywall, and everybody thinks they're dumb. They're not dumb. No. And this is just the thing that people misjudge, you know, is just they're, they're misjudging the value of whole life insurance. And you, you can't talk them out of it. It's, I, you can't talk them out of it. Well, do you think that uh, obviously you had some kind of interest, you know, at age 22? I mean, you're either however that happened, you know, I mean, you were interested in learning, purchasing whole life insurance and then the gurus, yep. the financial people talked you out of it. So whenever you hear, you know, this idea of becoming your own banker and you hear Nelson and, and uh you know, heard me talk a couple of times and we we're talking about life insurance and dividend paying whole life insurance. You surely had to reach back in your memory back to when you were 22 and said, oh my gosh, you know, this is, I knew it was good, but I didn't know how good it was. And I let people talk me out of it. Yep. Uh, and it was easy to, because that was the era when life insurance agents were trying to sell investments or investment people were trying to sell life insurance. There was that period of time when they kind of merged together. Yeah. When was that in the eighties? Would we early eighties? Yeah. So, you know, if you, and they still suffer, the industry suffers from that today. The life insurance companies want to be all things, all people. They want to be financial, you know, uh, providers, for, they want yes. to be all things to all people, you know what I mean? Yes. Financial services and, and all of this yep. and all of that. And, yeah. they, and these, the stockbroker people were as happy as anybody to sell life insurance as an investment. Sure, universal life. That's where that came from. 
Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. It, it had to be sexy, and regular yeah. life insurance just was too. <sighs> Oh, yeah. yeah, they they came out with terms now. See, I was licensed permanently. I worked on a temporary license for yeah. two different periods. But 1991 is when I became permanently licensed, right? And I remember back in the day, they were coming up with, like, uh, these things, quote-unquote, investment-grade life insurance. You know, and it was always universal life. And the, right. and the uh, they're, they were trying to put the connotation that investment-grade is better than whatever you have. Right, this is right. new investment grade life insurance, and so yep. yeah, the the life insurance industry, and I've said it many times, they have forgotten their history, they have forgotten their heritage, they have forgotten who they are and what they have and why it matters, right? And then along right. comes somebody like Nelson Nash, and I'm not saying he's the only guy, but he is the only guy that put scale to uh, becoming your own banker and borrowing against the cash values. Um, but I'm with you. So at that time, yeah. you know, all the investment guys are, yeah. they're just selling anything that they can get paid on my opinion. You know, there you go. <laughs> all right. So, um, so you could get past the word life insurance, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, and after you heard several presentations, several readings of Nelson's book, and then you hear Nelson, um, you obviously took action. You decided that, yeah, I want to do this. I want to become my own banker. Yep. And uh, you weren't 22 anymore, though. Gone? Weird. No, I was not. <laughs> <laughs> and as a result, you know, I, I did have type 2 diabetes and obesity and stuff like that. Uh, me and the wife, we did not qualify. Or, so you, you, know, you applied? Yeah. However... Yeah. Isn't that a very nice coinky dinky that you can insure your kids and have them inherit the policy and become There's, the owner? Yeah, and let me say that um there are a lot of rules that uh have to be followed to purchase insurance on someone else. There has to be an insurable interest. And just because you have children or parents or cousins or nephews doesn't mean you automatically have insurable interest. <laughs> but in y'all's case, you know, we yeah. got it done. Legitimately, you didn't qualify, but your children did. And Nelson has a, I think it's really only one page in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker. What if I'm uninsurable? Right. Right, right. I remember that subject matter was uh, was not. It it didn't. It wasn't big. Right. Yeah. Right, so we there, there are some nice features to that, though. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, and if you delve deeply into stuff like uh, you know the state planning and all the other kind of stuff, oh, there are nice features to that. Yeah, you know? I think you know if I can, and I don't want to. I don't want to share anything that that you don't want, and I'm not I'm not going to. But we did use your children, right? Yes. To get policies in force, yep. um, and I and I gotta say that you know here we are. We're in 2020. Um, the current estate tax uh, levels are what they are. They're automatically going to revert at the end of 2024 because of the sunset provision and the last tax overhaul. And you know what's new with that, right? The the estate tax limits and, and exemptions and, and, and amounts change 
on a regular basis, but there's a whole cottage industry built up on estate planning, right? And then yeah. there's new products that come out throughout the years in the 80s and 90s. You know, the second to die universal life policies and all these all of these different and various creations from the insurance industry and the financial world. Um, they may they may solve a problem. They may appear to solve a problem at a particular time. But as things change, they may not continue to solve the problems. And I'm saying that to say this, that because you bring up a very legitimate and valid point that there are some very cool things that you can do when it comes to estate planning, legacy planning, generational wealth transfer. And y'all are doing that by default, right? And yeah, I, and, exactly. Right? And See, I, I'm, I, I might, do it the weasel way. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't, you know, that's your words, not mine, okay? But. Oh, no, um, no, no, yeah, I know that sounds bad. Right. But what I'm saying is we might not solve every estate tax issue or problem, but we are not going to complicate it or compound it by any means. Right. Right. We are going to mitigate, reduce or eliminate an awful lot of estate tax issues. And so thanks for letting me share that. Um, So. That would be in 2015 that you became a client. You you became you started becoming your own banker. Um, yep. So it, it took a couple of years, at, at least a good solid year, right, for you to wrap your mind around it, going to yep. different events and reading different things. That's right. I did experiment along the way, too, like just to know <laughs> that the, the true confessions here <laughs> that the money could be borrowed. I did a little experiment. I took a small loan out to buy a garage door opener. All right. I know that sounds weird. Yeah. Our house was the crappiest house with the nicest garage door opener ever. (laughs) My gosh. People would like walk by and they'd go, oh, wow, look at that garage door opener. What was it, titanium or something? I don't know. It was nice. Really nice, but I went all out <laughs> and you know paid the payments, got the money recovered. So look, yeah. were you, were you like penciling the the loan and and the interest and the dividend? Were you you know were you penciling the insurance company to make sure they were going to do or did what you expected them to do? Or well, no, I I just uh, wanted to get through it to make sure I knew how to. Okay, you know. Take well, out a loan and all that, and it was, it was way more convenient than I thought it would be because I automatically assumed it'd be like borrowing money from a third party. Oh my god! And none of that happened at all. It's like one page. Which made it so nice. I'm telling you, one page, Uh-oh. two signatures. If you're in a community property state, right, right. And it's like it's it's almost. I mean, it's not a it's not a. It's not a loan request. It's not a loan application. Right. I mean, it's typically with most insurance companies, yes. it's a multi-purpose service form. And you're yes. telling them how much you want and how you want it delivered. Yes. Check, overnight, right, you right. know, direct deposit. And then when, after the experimental, you know, garage door opener loan, yeah. right, which set the, uh, which set the standard. <laughs> So the whole block started buying nice garage door openers, huh? <laughs> no, I, for some reason, I just didn't want to tell them about it. 
Oh. It's just, no, I'm just awesome. That's why, you know? Yeah, anyway, so uh, we did uh, 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 a couple of loans on uh, fixing the house up. You know what happens when, when, when uh, a storm goes by and, and uh, your, 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 your wood on the side of your house starts melting like a wet graham cracker? <laughs> no, I'm just yeah, we had to replace all the siding. We we got a hardy plank siding, mm. and uh, man, I hit my head on it. That stuff is hard. That's that's anyway. concrete. Yeah, <laughs> dang this. Yeah, <laughs> so we we did some home improvements involving hardy plank and things like that. And uh, the loan had not been paid off at that time. At the time we sold the house. And ooh, look at that. We got our money back now. Yeah. So, you know, you're not, you didn't owe that money to a third party. And it was just some kind of like, it just felt like victory. Right. Ah, we're getting our own money back. <laughs> well, it, you mentioned it earlier, you know, uh, whomever is controlling the banking function is winning and they're profiting. And if you're controlling your money and your cash flows, I mean, just the mere fact that you're in control of your money and your cash flows, what is that worth? You know, everything. Yeah. It's worth everything. Mentally, physically. You know, plus add this in there. Whatever you do is is nobody else's business. You don't feel like you got to have the whole world has to know, you know, So, damn, it's just pretty cool. Yep. All right, so what yeah. else have you done? And it, it's only going straight up from there, too. You pay the premiums, the premium goes in. Oh, my yeah, God. Well, now that you mentioned that, you got to pay a premium. No way. Okay. Um, yeah. But then when you borrow money, you create a loan repayment, too. People have a hard time sometimes wrapping their mind around that. I've got to pay a premium and a loan repayment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they, they can't accept it. They just can't accept it. They the insurance company is going to charge me money to borrow yeah. or charge me interest to borrow my own money. Right. All that and stuff. now one time one of the passengers asked me, so, well, yeah, I, uh, I knew he had gone to college. I knew he had gone to college. <laughs> I'm sure he was a, a, a art history major or something. And he could not get past his head that, no, you see, when I paid the payment, the money's coming back to me. And and he just, well, no, because you borrowed the money. See, if you borrowed the money, then you're only at break-even. And see, if you charge yourself interest there and this and that there, you wouldn't you have more money if you, oh, <laughs> there's something. It's just something wrong yeah. with the whole college thing. Ooh. You know how you should... If you can't get them to be smarter going in, you should have some kind of like like real walking over hot coals kind of thing to get in. <laughs> something. Oh you have to get pepper sprayed good or something. You know, like, oh, God, you're a what? Never mind. Go away. <laughs> you you got to at least well, get them little, motivated. You know? Little communist factories now, aren't they? I mean, aren't they just promoting socialism? And, yeah, I, 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 don't, know, get, I don't know. I don't get the fascination. Well, everybody should be forced in the same little corner of shit 
that everyone else is at. Why are you doing that? Yeah, everybody Why should graduate with fifty or hundred thousand dollars in student loans. Yeah, <clears throat> sure. See, that tells me you're kind of dumb right off the bat because you're going to borrow so much money that you're not going to get back. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. You can defer. It. You can make. You can defer it for twenty years and then write it off and have a big old tax bill in the twenty-first year. Yeah, that's yeah. the solution to these. You know. Well, you could, or you could have just got a policy loan out. You know. See, that's kind of the reason why you know you insure your kids. It skips a generation, and money is pays for like the the grandkids' college or something. You know, yeah. yeah, let's let's talk about that for a minute, too, because we hear all the time, I hear often, right, well, am I too old, is 70 too old, is 75 too old, is 76 or whatever, am I too old? Heck, we even get that question in pe- from people in their 50s. And the short answer is no, you're not too old, right, unless you're above age 85, then it's hard to get insurance issue. <laughs> yeah, that would, that would okay. be hard to justify. Yeah, right. It. But if you look at an even distribution of age classes in Nelson's book, and I believe it's on page 70 and 71, right? Uh-huh. Nelson uses four different generations, right? And it's the right. older generation that has all the money, right? The It's the grandparents that have all the money. And yeah. so let's, and I don't want to make too many assumptions, but I think it's safe if you're a grandparent uh, or a lot of people in their 70s um, are grandparents, okay? So I just want to look at that. Age 70, I'm a grandparent. Am I too old? The short answer is no, um, but are you insurable? And it, Yes or no. You may be or may not be. It doesn't matter if you're insurable or not, in my opinion, because if you consider what's going on in an even distribution of age classes, if I'm 70 and I want to implement the infinite banking concept, um if I'm insurable, I can start on my own life, right? But that is a death benefit focus. You're still going to have cash value, but you're not going to have the same cash value in five years as you were if you were 20, 30, 40, or 50. All right. Does that mean it's a deal breaker? Does that mean it's an end all be all? No. If you start at age 70 and you're insurable and you start on your own life, you're just jump starting you're kick starting you're accelerating the legacy the foundation of building you know the infinite banking concept through more than one generation because look we're all going to graduate nobody's going to get out of here alive i think there's only been three previously and you're not going to be the fourth and neither am i okay all right so um if you're insurable, you can start on your life. You don't have to finance a single thing, right? But then you can also purchase, potentially purchase, policies on your children or at least lead the way, show them the way, show them how to do it. And you can look at your grandchildren, right? So you can lay the foundation if you're insurable or if you're not insurable, as long as you have insurable interest in others. Either way is okay, you know, and so I'm just I'm sharing that um, sometimes yeah. when we're older, we just think, well, it doesn't apply to me or I can't do it exactly like I've right. seen some example in the past. That doesn't mean you can't deliver, yeah. I mean, legitimate, real life changing results to your prodigy. There you go. Now, once you have them set up on the kids. 
you can use it as a way to get the kids introduced. What? You mean your children, like my children, may be interested in money? What? All right. So, all right. I'm not going to say this really loud. My son uh, is over in the other room. Okay. All right. He may need a car soon. Hmm. Get a car loan through the policy. Show him how it works when we do it. Have him make a payment to us. Right? Yeah. The exact amount that the you know the loan pop payment would have been. See, right there. <clears throat> your kids will always think you're you're a dummy. <laughs> That's sad. You know? They have to see it work. Sure. For it to be ooh, a good idea. Well, you know, I, I appreciate the uh, automobile example. <clears throat> you know, the uh, you just you're just not um, going to go far unless you live in New York City. And the last I looked at New York City, people are leaving by the droves. So unless <laughs> right, so unless you're in New York City, you're probably going to need a car, right? Okay. So you bring up the car, and, and I hear often it's like, well, James, I can go borrow, I can go get a brand new car financed at two point nine or zero or one point five or one point six or whatever. And I'm like, man, that's great. Um, most policy loans are four point seven six all the way up to eight percent, depending on the company. And at the end of the day, I don't care. Um, so why, James, wouldn't I use you know the lender third party lenders money at two point nine versus borrowing from the life insurance company at five? And at the end of the day, that's just straight math. Two point nine is a smaller number than five point zero. No kidding. No kidding. Okay. Well, why might I consider that? Well, maybe I don't want to jump through the banker's hoops, but. If I do, if I'm willing to jump through the baker's hoops, I'll use all their money that they'll lend me at 2.9%. You know what I'm saying? So it's my choice is my point. It's who's controlling the banking function. All right. And then I might say, uh, when's the last time you've had a pre-owned car offered to you at zero or 2.9 or three or four or 5% interest? Never. It ain't gonna happen. Here we are in the lowest interest rate environment ever. You're not normal. <laughs> yeah, you know it ain't normal. And then, and then, and then, what's it? Your children need cars. My children need cars. And if the the bank, the third party lender bank, is going to charge five, six, or seven for a pre owned car, and my company, you know, the life insurance company charges five. And if I charge my children seven, let's say that additional 2% goes into a policy that I own. And in your case, it's on the children's lives. Yes. There, that's just additional premium to the life insurance company. So, <laughs> right. We're calling it additional interest in our arrangement based on the market rate of interest by the third party lender. But that additional money into your life insurance policy creates greater cash values immediately, a greater dividend immediately, and greater dividends in the future forever. I mean, so my point is, if your son listens to you and pays attention to you, and I hope he does, and he repays the loans on the on the terms that y'all have created, he's just creating more money for himself in the future because you are going to graduate and that yeah. policy is automatically going to transfer an ownership right. to him. Right. And it's going to have now, more money in it. My approach is also, you know, because it was like my hook, 
Oh. The, the thing that hooked me, right? <laughs> the the brute force. It sounds like brute force, man. Oh, you're recovering all the principal payments. What? And you're putting it right back in your own, your own account. Right? Yeah, I call it the equivalent. <clears throat> you know, you're covering the, recovering the equivalent right? cost of the car. Right. So I can show him that side as well. Right. right. This is the interest you earned. And look at this. This is the principal payments you recovered. Wow. It's like, what's wrong with that? And uh, nothing is wrong with that. And, you know, if you look at the last I've used, I've done lots of calculations in the past, lots of different presentations. But the average all-American family winds up spending oh, well over a million dollars just for the privilege of driving a car throughout their lifetime. And, and the question always got down to how much of that, or if you could recover the equivalent, a million dollars that you spend on cars for the privilege of driving, if you could recover some or all of that, would you want to? And Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then, well, when would you want to start? Immediately. So I'm just saying, a uh, million dollars over a lifetime, that might not seem like a lot of money today, you know, with these government, you know, trillion dollar deficits, but that's a lot of money where I live. That's a lot of money. And then, and I'm just, uh, I say the, the, the family, I'm just talking about a married couple, you know, or a couple, a partnership, whatever it is, two people. That didn't include your children and their spouses, you know, or your grandchildren and their spouses. I mean, it's, uh, very, very um, powerful whenever you look at this concept over a lifetime and mm -hmm. over more than one lifetime. But then most people can't think past next week, too, I got to say. And so if we look at, let's say, how old, is, how old is your son ballpark figure that we're talking about here? Oh, my, my son's car? No, no, your son, your son. How old is your son? How old? Yeah. Can I ask? Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter. Okay, let's say that your son's 30 years of age. I don't know he, how old he is. He's 30, but he doesn't want to be reminded he's getting that old. Okay, he's a young man. And my, <laughs> my, my point is this, is like, you know, let's, uh, and, and I don't want to make you graduate early or anything, but let's say you graduate 30 years from now. You. Your son is 60. Right, and he's he's got all this money coming to him, and everything that you've created and didn't spend and give away is going to accrue to your people, right? Okay, and he's yeah. your people. So my point is this: like the further out you go, and the further out that you look at these various life insurance illustrations and the examples of what can be done, the further out you go, the better it looks, no question. And and I understand that people can't hardly think past next week, but just because you're not going to be here in 40 or 50 years doesn't mean your children won't be here in 40 or 50 years. And it surely doesn't go. mean your grandchildren won't be here in 40 or 50 years. So this idea that we can't think past retirement is ridiculous, right? If you're really going to change you and your family's financial situation, right, on a, on a legitimate and potentially a permanent level, then if you don't take action, if you don't do something, 
right now how long do you want to wait how long do you want to kick the can down the road at, at what generation do you want to put the onus on well i'm not going to do anything today i'm going to let them worry about it and so you fix it i mean it's it's ridiculous um it's 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 almost the same as deferring taxes, right? I'm going to do a 1031 exchange in real estate because I don't want to pay any taxes. I'm going to do a 1035 exchange on all my annuities or all my life insurance contracts, or I'm going to buy a qualified plan to defer the taxes. Who, pray tell, are you piling up all of those future obligations and liabilities onto? Your people. And, and for the life of me, that does not make sense to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, the people oh, even, yeah. you know, I am from California and my, uh, my dad passed away back in 2016. Mm-hmm. What a mess. And we had taken all kinds of steps. Uh, we'd gotten, uh, uh, a trust set up and everything, put the house in the trust, all the other kinds of things. So, and it was, it still wasn't good enough. The state was just going to keep coming after you as long as there's liquid cash anywhere. <laughs> I mean, it was God. <clears throat> Look, they're oh. they're uh, Illinois. I have a lot of clients in Illinois, you know, and all across the country. But uh, Illinois has implemented a couple of years ago an exit tax. If you leave, they're going to tax you for leaving. New York is putting it together if they have not already. And California, by golly, is going to do it very quickly if they haven't already done it. I mean, it's not going to change. This state does not have the ability to restrain itself. Right? And they do not, they do not create one product or service. They don't provide anything for a profit. They do not make a profit. They cannot make a profit. And they cannot control their spending. So in their ever-increasing expansion, all of the cost to expansion accrues to us. And if, and no matter what you do, just like you said with your father, you know, I'm sorry for your loss, all of the work and all of the estate planning that you've done, all the lawyers got paid, right? All the financial gurus got paid, the state gets paid, and it's... Uh, brutal on the all-American individual. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, there's a there, there's a reason not to put it off. Right. You know, planning for later. There's a reason not to put it off. Definitely. You know, I say, I, and that's another great point, Colin. You know, I like to use the exponential curve. You know, if you start to the left, it's low, and the further you go to the right, it, it becomes vertical. The exponential curve, right? Yeah. So if I delay starting anything beneficial, especially the infinite banking concept, and there is a startup cost, you know, have you, you're probably still in the startup cost. We'll get to that in a minute. All right. All right. Um, there's a startup cost. There's a loss of liquidity when I start paying premium, when I create policies that didn't exist before and I start paying premium. You know, there's a cash value, but that cash value and total, total cash value and total premium don't equal till sometime in the future. So that's a loss of liquidity, right? All right. But the further out I go in my exponential curve, you know, the further out to the right I go, um, that line becomes vertical. And my point is this. More efficient. Yes. The longer it exists, the the more efficient the policy becomes. So if I delay because I'm trying to avoid this startup cost, 
I can't avoid the startup cost. So the longer I delay, what I'm really sacrificing is the exponential curve, the most profitable part of a life insurance, the most efficient segment of a life insurance policy. Does that make sense? I should come up with a graph. I have graphics to do that. It makes sense. And even if, say, you get that policy later in life, your kids are the insured and they will be the owners at some point, Um, probably, you know, you still want to get that money in and finance that thing and get it capitalized early. (laughs) I mean, don't wait till your kid's 40. Just, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, because that exponential curve is going to be that much more effective if you started a little earlier. Yeah, and you're just going to experience it sooner. It was it was a good place to put money, even for our age and we plan to retire in five years or whatever. But it was still a good place to put money now. And there's there is no reason to, to even worry. It's just Awesome. Well, has it, has it, thank you for saying that, because um, that's legitimately been your experience. Um, and, and really, of your experience, I mean, would you do, looking back, would you do anything different? You know, are you sorry that you've made any decisions as you made when it comes to the infinite banking concept? You know, I mean, um, is it, is it, is it, are the results what you expected, better than, less than, you know? They are what I expected. Look, um, because, you know, older, wiser, more realistic. When you're 22 and uh, you're being told about something that seems boring and complicated and interest rates were really high at the time and you got stockbroker types talking to you about, you know, double-digit returns. Oh, yeah. I, I remember at one time I had uh, I had a money market fund that was paying 13%. Right. Well, we got to do thirteen percent. We got to do You watch them month after month, and you know, it, it was uh, it, it was a perfect setup for dorks, you know, who didn't <laughs> want to study or learn or anything, and and uh, you know, it it is too bad that it, had I not started, had I started a policy. But remember, I didn't have the background information. There was there was no Nelson Nash that I'd heard of. Right. You know, that's that's kind of when he got his start during that kind of crisis there when it was uh, high interest rates, unable to borrow and things like that. And uh, so he kind of started out around that time to come up with the concept. Right. And that was his period. Yeah. 1980. He's doing quad bypass. Yep. Too bad. I, I couldn't have. Known him then, you know. Yeah, me too. Then, you know, you could have set me straight. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I, I like uh, I like when I'm driving and telling people about uh, you know the about Nelson Nash. Oh, I still hand out your business card, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you you know, going back to 2015. I mean, I almost. Uh, 
I, I don't know how many you've made. You made the effort. You drove up here. You drove up here from Houston to to go to those two different expos. Um, you drove up here every time you came up here to see Nelson. Yep. You know, I think I think we had an open mic session one time here in the office that we're in in Alvarado. I mean, you made the effort. You know, to drive up here, you had to spend the night and all these things, two days, and you know that was. Uh, I mean, any regrets on that at all? No, no. Each each, uh, each trip ended with picking something up, right? Mm-hmm. But I also did the the scenic route on the way back. Like sure. you get off the main highway, cut across, drive through a weird looking deserted town. Yeah, thinking, wow, was there a bomb blast here or something? It, it, Find it the was, best hamburger joint in town, right? Yeah. <laughs> And that's where I knew Bucky's. There was a Bucky's in Madisonville, uh, and you it. don't pass Bucky's. <laughs> Bucky's is the it is the uh, just the Disney World of gas stations. Yeah, you know, I have friends like you that can't drive past a Bucky's. I can can't. drive right by them. <laughs> you know, Beaver Nuggets. Come on, <clears throat> just gonna pass Beaver Nuggets. I don't uh, think so. I hear you. I hear you. Um, but to this, uh, it comes to my mind that um, you have uh, some experience with Excel spreadsheets. Yep. And I know that I don't know to what extent, but I think pretty extensively, haven't you? You know, ran your policy cash values yes, over and over again, like a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, like a weirdo. Um. Kind of an obsessive weirdo too, because you know I'd go, I'd make a spreadsheet. It's perfect, but ah, oh, it's not perfect. I'm gonna change something. So, um, yeah, I, I I like to uh, put together a calculator that would just kind of indicate to you what kind of like uh, payback period and how it how that affects the balance and all the other kind of stuff like that. I make these calculators from time to time. They're fun, you know. But there's uh, there's but but it's it's what I do while I'm thinking. Like there's way too many people. Their thing is just basically you have to show this, this, and this. No, I'm trying to like get for myself the the way it stands, and you know, then I then you put in a a graphic in there, and yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. But it's my deal. <laughs> there's my a- weirdness. There's a lot of that out there. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people just like you that are that's weird and like to get yeah. crazy with the numbers. The there's thing, nothing right? wrong with that. It's really hard to illustrate the concept on paper that you just go, here it is, boom. And it tells somebody, and they look at it and they get it. Oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's not that easy. It's hard to do because there are people. Well, I don't get it. So, you know, I'll, I'll send you calculators from time to time just for fun, you know, just for giggles. Yeah, and I look at them and I'm like, wow, there's that's a lot of good work, Colin. I'm like, right. I, you know, I can't get lost in the numbers. Right. I love numbers. Don't misunderstand. Me. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not an Excel ninja, well, but I know some. You like have to pair it up with a the the exponential curve. Right. What's happening? Why is this worth it? You know, right. that's a little harder. Why? 
I hear my wife stirring in there. She's mm. just about done with her day. Well, and we can wrap up too. So, you know, I don't want to take all your time. Um, well, yeah, yeah, because we we, we got to start cooking around here. That's a major thing to watch. Perfect. Do you well, use I'll Excel spreadsheets on that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right, it's not normal. I get not. it. I get it. Is there um, is there any uh, anything you'd like to share? Any parting wisdom, encouragement, or you know things you um, learned you didn't expect? I, I would say a motto I have: right, comfort kills initiative. Ooh. Comfort kills initiative. That's deep, dark, and kind of go good on a bowling shirt or something, you know. <laughs> right. But it, it, it is one of those things where, you know, back in the day, I had a good job. I had good benefits. I was doing everything the world expected of me. I was happy with myself. And it killed any initiative I had. You know, the 401k was a default. You know, you're not thinking beyond... Your your immediate reach, and um, so comfort kills initiative. That four hundred one k, that's very good. That four hundred one k, I see a lot. It provides false comfort. It's false. It's an illusion of comfort. Yeah. Oh, and four hundred one ks have a way of when you're no longer employed at that cool job, and you find yourself with a house and a mortgage in Southern California, inland in a recreational area that doesn't really have a job base, you know, Palm Springs, Cathedral City, that area. You realize that your job is running your whole damn life. You got to chase a job. I told you earlier, I am a security guard, armed security guard at a bakery. I am not chasing any careers or anything like that. You know what? What you make is irrelevant. It's what you keep. Mm-hmm. Right? There you go. Uh, no, I All right. That. There we go. All right. Well, perfect. Listen, I appreciate you calling. Okay. Um, <laughs> always have. Yep. So. Hey, if you're going to send this, uh, go ahead and send it. Uh, I'll, I'll forward it on to my wife so she can make fun of it. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure she'll be completely encouraging for you. <laughs> <laughs> She's you married up, that's for okay. sure. All right, listen, have a great day. Thanks, Colin. Right. I appreciate you it. You too. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.